If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity blah. The blubbity blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity blah. Good vibes. Blubbity blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Last show before the holiday, we got exciting new news to share with you. We got a new segment on our show you guys might like. We got Rams on Twitter, and we got uh, Lindsay Eastburn talking about hypnofertility uh, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. We even uh, kind of brush that some of those third rail topics in this one. Barely second rail. Barely, but yeah, this is a good one. She's she's fantastic. She's been, I mean, she's been doing this for a long time, and she's written a few books about it. She kind of got one foot in the, you know, the spiritual realm, and one foot working with the doctors in the clinics on helping people get pregnant. I mean, it's pretty fascinating chat. It really Absolutely, is yeah. It's going to be an interesting field over the next few years, probably. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens because I mean, we do mention that. Um, that uh, lady who wrote the book, and now I don't remember what it is, and I don't have it in the show notes, actually, but about how the sperm counts are going down quite a bit. So, it, you know, people that do want to have kids, it's getting harder and harder these days, it seems. So she'll be in demand. <laughs> so you jumped on Twitter just in time for it to suck. I d- dude, I wanted to, so I got to talk to you about it because this is very strange. I, it's not allowing me to, it's not allowing me to tweet. It's not allowing me to like stuff. So and then I've already followed the max people. So then I thought it was maybe, okay, it's like 50 or a hundred a day. Like, and you were saying, okay, so follow people every day, kind of go in and try and follow people. Right. So today I'm looking, I think I was, was at 163 and I tried and it let me do a couple and then it stopped me at 165. And then I, I just happened to, I mean, this could almost be an operation project segment, really. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we need the jingle, but I do want to run something by you here. Because you were talking about how, like, sure enough, Twitter, it wasn't me that was getting, not necessarily me that was having troubles. The whole Twitter thing was down for a bit or something. So you then change something. He fucked something up. Everyone is fucking freaking. Well, no, it's not. It's not his. I don't think it's his fault for what he he changed the rates or whatever that you're talking about that he made frame it rate. only read so many tweets a day. Well, yeah. Cause he's trying to stop the bots from scraping. Right. I mean, Dude, do you know how quick you go through 600 tweets, man? That's like fucking six minutes of fucking scrolling. You know what, what I mean? No, dude. That's how many tweets a second are you scrolling past in scroll mode? I'm not, I'm doing like, but the average 15 minutes. I, well, come on. Yeah, there's know. no that way, man. Ridiculous. What? Dude, fucking one little flip of your thumbs, fucking 50 tweets. Like that, dude. They're no, like you're not stopping at it. I mean, you can't, what, just scrolling by without reading it is considered a thing? Yeah. yeah. You oh, get well, to see 600 tweets, period, full stop. If okay. you're a premium user, you get to see 8,000. 
And you can't be a premium until 30 days, right? I guess. So like I do have to wait. I can't do anything really for 30 days. You couldn't see any. And I can't change <laughs> so I, my profile pic. I can't change any information. You should be able to do all that. No, I can't because it says it disqualifies you from becoming like you need your 30 days steady on your account or whatever oh. without changing profile picker. So, yeah. here's, so, so I mean, guess, you go, I'm, I'm telling you, you go by a few hundred tweets in no time, dude. Like in, a, in, a, in an hour, you've probably seen you haven't read, but you've probably seen 10,000 tweets if you were spending an hour on Twitter. I mean, when you start ripping through replies and stuff, those all count. Huh. You think even replies? Just, like a tiny little I wonder reply? what your scroll rate is. Like how many tweets per minute you're just a, an average scroll is. Oh, I see. If, it's, if you're including like flipping through the replies, then, then yeah, I could add up pretty quick. Let's ask my assistant. Okay, ask Let's your assistant. Off. How many tweets does the average user see per minute including replies and several factors such as the accounts they follow it's a piece of cheese, blah, blah blah however let's assume the average scenario according to twitter as of 2021 there are approximately uh, as of 2021 there are approximately 192 million daily average users each user spends around 3.3 minutes per day on twitter of us so Total tweets seen per day, 650 million. It's doing a bunch of crazy math. Therefore, on average, an average user sees approximately 450,000 tweets per minute. 650, no, I don't know. This this thing is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just bring you through what the I AI mean, you can is. do. <laughs> so and you, you tell me. Okay. I'm having trouble following its logic, but it's definitely wrong. Okay. So here's the question. How many tweets does the average user see per minute? Okay. The number of tweets an average user sees per minute can vary depending on several factors, such as the number of accounts they follow, the frequency of tweets from those accounts, and their browsing habits. However, let's assume an average scenario, which is kind of what I asked, but okay. According to Twitter, as of 2021, there are approximately 192 million daily active users on the platform. On average, users spend around 3.3 minutes per day on Twitter. To calculate the number of tweets an average user sees per minute, we can divide the total number of tweets seen in a day by the total number of minutes spent on Twitter. Uh, so the total tweets seen per day, 650.88 million tweets. Total tweets per minute. No, they're not doing it per person. Then you got to divide it by 192 million. So, so the total tweets seen per million equals 658 million tweets divided by 24 hours divided by 60 minutes. So the total tweets seen per minute is 450,000. But to me, that would be the average number right. of tweets per minute, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. He's what he what they have to do is take that six hundred and fifty million divided by one hundred and ninety two million, then by three point five minutes or whatever, right? Or, but if I just go on to Twitter, if I'm still allowed, let's see. Oh, fuck off. Divided by three point. Yeah, that's what you do. Just do that. What? Well, I'm just gonna like. Uh... Anyways, I don't know if that's. They might have maybe... kicked me off. Again, 
What, the chatbot kicked you off? Oh, no, I'm still here. I've snuck back onto Twitter under my indigenous, indigenous opinions moniker. So are, are the rate limits still on? So that's 10. That's 20. That's 30. That's probably 50, just kind of looking for. So if I'm like, say I'm looking for Elon stuff, right? If I were looking for a certain user, you go buy 100 tweets in no time. It looks like the rate limits are off now, though, because I just went past. Well, he changed it to 1,000. Oh, did he? It, all, it got bumped up to 10,000 and 1,000, I think. So I'm just sort of going through stuff. Let's see when it tells me I hit the limit. And I'm I'm just sort of scrolling through my my feed at it faster than I normally would. But I mean, if you get looking at memes, well, uh, you should be you should have to click on it and go into it for it to be one. It shouldn't be scrolling. But I guess they can scrape it. They can scrape by scrolling. Is that what the deal is? I have no idea. I have no idea. So I have no idea. Why can't they? Why you know? So can I, can I, re- so let me, let me read some. So this is, I just happened to. I think I read the same thing that you're on Substack. I don't know, it wasn't on Substack. I found something on Twitter that someone was like, Elon's saving the world. It's cool. Just relax. He's shutting down the AI censorship death star. Uh, is okay. that in your Substack? Does it say AI censorship death star? I don't think it? so. No, it's just, this is like. I the just to... I read specifically said that Elon was saving the world from the AI censorship death star that the Democrats were about to deploy. Hmm. This is, uh, I just happen to be following Jeff Childers' coffee and COVID Substack. And it's talking about a deep dive into deep state manipulation, DNC bots, mind control, and Twitter's annoying new policy requiring a user account to view tweets. So, um, the quiet revolution is underway at Twitter, a revolution much more significant and much more real than the so-called Wagner uprising and for much higher stakes. So he says, we've, we've felt the, the side effects, such as Twitter's annoying brand new requirement to have an account to view tweets. It took me a few days to put the pieces together because these days nothing ever seems uh, is ever as it seems. Let's start by looking at the recent example of a growing social media problem as an insidious, insidious problem that badly fooled me for two days. So, so this is about this is fucking it's fa- so fascinating. Um, so it's about that <clears throat> that account called uh, Erica Marsh. Right? Have you seen that? Have you heard this? How this is the whole thing that blew up this. So there was a goofy tweet by a blonde, former Obama staffer named Erica Marsh. She stupidly said, no black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system. And I took the bait. Okay. And I took the bait to use her tweet as a perfect example of the white liberal mindset on affirmative action. No. Now, I didn't just tumble off the latest turnip delivery drone to be sure Erica was real, as I have learned to do. I checked Chatty Erica's extensive account history, seeing that she has lots of tweets over time, noting she has over 130,000 loyal liberal followers, had a verified account, and I saw that she often responded to comments in her threads. But dang it, I missed the one dead giveaway. The fact that her super popular account was only just created a few months ago in September 2022. Like, this this is fucking huge, I think. Because 
This is all funded. It's an op. It's all funded. She's got this huge influence in like what? Seven months, eight months. She's gained this. Some, some people even more suspicious than me dug into the sordid story. And now it looks like Erica was in fact a highly sophisticated psyop bot, most likely run by a shady Belgian political consulting group that they used the very same cute blonde model in other campaigns. Then investigators figured out that Erica's photo was AI generated and the lid blew off. In other words, there's not even a real model behind the fake Erica. She's 100% artificially generated. After the story began exploding all over Twitter, I sus it suspended the fake Erica account. One supposes that the Twitter team looked into her a little deeper and discovered Erica was really an AI body snatcher. The fake account, which was, again, verified, was very careful and sophisticated. Reviewers noted that only 5% of its tweets were politically outrageous. The other 95 were just run-of-the-mill, pro-Democrat, liberal, woke platitudes. Here's a quick example. So they show like three examples of um, her getting uh, into the Ashley Babbitt thing on J6, right? Super narrative-based. like, And then... That you take a look at the numbers of likes and retweets. Um, the account was obviously very successful at spreading hateful, woke messages, thoughts, and ideas. But the Erica bot has now imploded or exploded, melted down, blew a fuse. Our vocabulary needs another expansion and is now gone. It's too bad in a way, since the PSYOP team running the account obviously put a bunch of work into it. Oh, well. The fake Erica story was just the tip of the iceberg. Now let's connect the Erica dot to last week's change in Twitter policy. Dot? Maybe it's supposed to say bot. A policy change immediately affecting many of that our CNC readers who don't have and don't want Twitter accounts. So this is where Elon gets into the, the uh, to address extreme levels of data scraping. So a few hours later, he changed it to from to 10,000, 1,500 for verified. Uh, sorry, for new accounts. The 500 was new accounts and 1,000 was for unverified. <laughs> so, oh my God. So maybe that's why I'm, maybe that's why I'm getting this error message that I'm about to tell you about. Anyways, he, he references like extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation and all that. Um, data scraping is not new. So I don't want to, I don't want to read this whole thing, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is where things get. So at this point, you're probably thinking that's all fascinating, Jeff, but what does it have to do with fake Erica and a Twitter revolution? Hang in there. It all connects. This is where things get really interesting. A former state department official, Mike Benz published a self-interviewed tweet yesterday, speculating on how Twitter's new rate limiting policy would hurt the intelligence agencies and thus get Musk in trouble with people like Chuck Schumer famously said, six ways from Sunday to get at you. So he's saying that, uh, that, <laughs> that it's the intel agencies that are actually doing a lot of this, which, you know, I was just listening to Viva Fry, like literally before we started recording this, and he had the guy, one of the guys that broke this story, that broke the uh, it being a digital digital uh, picture, like a fake picture mm -hmm. of her. And he said that he thinks there was somebody behind it. It wasn't a full AI bot. There was somebody behind it, but it was just obviously that's somebody pretending to be somebody else. Right. But he was, I think part of a, uh, 
a consulting firm or something. So getting huge. And there's some other people that are becoming sort of like influencers that are paid to be on these platforms instead of being like investigative journalists. So, um, for example, they might monitor how many Democrats were liking, retweeting, repeating, and forwarding fake Erica's widespread criticism of the martyred January 6th hero, and then testing whether the growing criticism was riling up conservatives. So he's he's saying that this is all like <laughs> intelligence agencies. Here's, here's how it probably works. First, spies and other clandestine government operators published some new PSYOP using their network of AI-driven bot accounts like Erica Marsh and her criticism of Babbitt, for example. Then the spooks can use their AI-based scraping tools to monitor and analyze millions of users' responses in real time as people click the buttons, retweet things, and post their own tweets and thoughts. People's addiction to social media means spooks can manipulate folks at population levels and essentially control our thoughts. Need some riots? No problem. Spook and other bad actors start pushing ugly tweets and Instagrams and Facebook posts about Supreme, Supreme Court decisions into particular online communities. Carefully measure the results and keep modifying the messages until people are tossing Molotov cocktails down Target's sneaker aisle. But, but Twitter's new rate limits have probably cut off the intelligence agency's ability to control the public conversation while testing the results. Rate limits are the reason Twitter suddenly required user accounts to view tweets because the social media giant needs to be able to throttle activity per account to identify and stop the automated data scrapers and bots. So I'm trying to get this new Twitter account up and running at this terrible time, terrible time chosen to finally succumb to the pressure. My I'm trying to, I'm trying to like it. What? My suspended account lets me look at stuff now again. So I'm trying to just like a tweet, right? It says, this request, it, it won't let me do it. It says, this request looks like it might be automated. To protect our users from spam and other malicious activity, we can't complete this action right now. Please try again later. So what? Ooh, I barely even what? use Twitter. And let it's already telling me. me. Yeah, but your, your account is very new. Okay, is that is this an error message like. from this new change then? It's letting me like stuff. Is is the error message from the new change then? Like I can't even like a, I mean I haven't even used it for a few minutes today. That's it. Yeah, it thinks you're a bot straight up. So um, what a fucking joke. So what do I do? Like just use it for twenty seconds each day. So it's let me do stuff. So it must not think I'm a bot. My suspended account is still suspended, but I have my Indige underscore opinions account where I've been very careful not to have my name or Gramerica or share anything political uh, other than Indian stuff. And it's letting me like stuff. So yesterday I couldn't really look at stuff at either account. So, I mean, that would be great if it was white hat shit. I do worry that that's it, not it, white hat though. That's not white hat. He's saying it's it's totally the opposite. If Elon's shutting it down to try and stop that, oh Elon, white, white hat, hat shit. No, Elon's just trying to protect the the whole thing that's for now Elon until maybe. he can until he I can succumb Elon everybody to it. it. What? So I got well, I got I, here's my two theories. One is that it's to quell dissent in France, but you'd think you could do that regionally. 
but I don't think it looks good for a democratic country to start fucking limiting social media. Right? If the it's, USA said you can't see your social media because we're having an issue, Canada said we can't have Twitter here today because we're having problems and people are, you know, it's it's instigating. The, the Yeah, but it's instigating because it's meant to instigate. People are using it to instigate. That's the problem. Yeah. Not people, well, yeah. organizations, not that, NGOs, not intelligence them. agencies. Not what? just them. Not just them. To say it's just them would be super naive. So is a lot of other people, right? There's a lot of grassroots stuff happening on Twitter, too. Well, yeah, but how much? How much is that really grassroots? Maybe if, 50, if, if you're being if you're being shadow banned like and if you're being got him still got Donald Trump elected. Yeah, but now it's it's way it's way more clamped down now since I don't know 2016. It's supposed to be freer now under Elon. It, well, freer than it was before Elon, but it still went quite well, a ways down though, down the. After I can't hear you when you interrupt me. I can't. I can't hear you until I'm until I'm done. I wasn't suspended until Elon took over. I know, but I'm talking about regular shadow banning and the, and the ind- independent accounts that don't get as much virality, whether it's YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter. There's a whole. So, so it's hard to blame the blame the uh, grassroots because we're getting we're getting suppressed. Twitter's a, Twitter's a great tool for it, and if I had a fucking possible revolution going on in my country, I would not want people having access to Twitter. Because that's probably the number one news and information. You know, it's the number one up to the minute. What's going on here? What's going on there? Where are people riding this second that I can go join? Where is this going down that I can go join? Where is the, you know, like I use Twitter for that. Not to that level, but you know, if something happens, there's news. Twitter's the first thing I go to search sort of what the headline is. And citizen journalists will have got there before any news organization has, right? If I hear, Hey, there's an accident here. The highway might be closed. I'll just search accident by this town and there'll be fucking shit about it already. The local law enforcement might've done something about it already. So it's a great tool for that. And I'm, I'm not, and I, I guarantee that the intelligence, there's a bunch of bad actors that are taking advantage of that too. I just have a hard time thinking Elon's doing it to stop them. Or maybe I don't have a hard time. I think it's just as, just as fucking possible that they're doing it to stop people from being able to to share news about France without it seeming like they're trying to stop people from sharing news about France. Because he's not allowed to do that anymore, right? We were supposed to, this is all supposed to be opened up now. When we knew when Jack was owning Twitter, we didn't expect to see shit about France when the, right? When the yellow vests were going off and all that stuff, we didn't expect to see anything about France because we knew Twitter was controlled. And now this just seems like a new way of controlling that message is what I think. On the other hand, I think Elon just wants us all to think that we can trust him because he's going to fucking sweep us into X app. And that'll be everything. If you don't have X app, you won't be able to do like anything. It'd be like the one to do. And the reason is because I can see him getting into bed with the government with Tesla. I can see him getting into bed with the government with the boring company. I can see him getting into government with SpaceX. And I can see him getting into bed with the government with Neuralink. So I don't see why Twitter would not be a fucking government subsidized operation like the rest of them. Or that's, this is the dude's business model. Yeah. So I don't see why he's not trying to weaponize Twitter into something that he can sell or rent or sell services from or data from the government or the yeah, intelligence I, communities or anything. I think the dude is part of the fucking intelligence communities. Yeah, but he just might not have the same nefarious 
Oh, he might not. He might have a more idealistic sort of or utopian view of how the X will be used. I mean, I think he needs to clean up the bots and clean up the system because you can't have nobody. Something. You can't have like a Neuralink. Uh, you can't have all this stuff uploaded to this Neuralink, or you can't have this sort of proper AI based on fake information. Like it's just not going to work in any reality. Yeah, right? like, I mean, so now you're talking about regulating people. No, no, not the people. It's like he's talking about the bots and all the fake stuff. Like, so he needs to clean it up, whether it's going to become X or whether it's going to be come whatever. He needs to clean it up. Just, just he's supposed to look like that on the cave wall, but I'm having a hard time trusting that Elon's trying to make it better for me. Well, he's definitely not trying to make it better for me because he kicked me off and told me I could never come back. That's the Canadian government, I think. It's it's your well, up until Elon took over, I'd been suspended fucking a dozen times. And it was never more than uh twelve or twenty-four hours at a time. The only time it took longer than that is if I refused to delete the tweet that they asked me to delete because the countdown would not start until I deleted that tweet. Three weeks after Elon took over, my my next suspension, which was fucking more innocuous than any of my previous suspensions. If I were to go through and dig the 12-hour suspensions I got, I mean, I told Jason Kenny to go fucking hang himself 12 hours. But I tell a politician after Elon takes over in his town hall, his virtual town hall, and I'm kicked out of the town hall for good. But as near as I can tell, they're not even reading. A real person isn't even reading my fucking... Sound like they went through your account. You, you, the way you made it sound before was they they know it wasn't just that one instance. It was like what tipped the, the straw that broke the camel's back. They're like, this guy's trouble. He just well, keeps that's what I the thought, politicians. That's what I thought too, but now they keep going back to one instance. So now if I compile it all together, when I read the last email that they sent me, it's this tweet. This tweet broke our rules. <laughs> and when I say, well, tell me, tell me where I broke the rules. Now if I ask them for any sort of breakdown or follow up they just won't give it to me they just say no they just don't say anything this is the exact same automated response every time it takes five to seven days to come in but nope so part of the reason i can't tweet and can't like things is because of this new rate limit you think that? you're a bot no it straight up thinks you're a bot i know but why, why would it think i'm I, a bot probably just because you just started your account at the worst possible time <laughs> not so only that is you're said that me too I mean, I should, they got them really. Did, did they ask you for your ID yet? No, no, because I need come, to wait thirty days just, before I oh can yeah, that's even right. apply. So they're going to limit the shit out of you for thirty days, and then get your ID, and then it'll probably open up for you as soon as they realize that you're not a bot or me. If they thought you were me, I think they just shut you down right away, though. Yeah. So just so, so everybody go follow me anyways, you know, if whoever's on Twitter, I mean, I'm at Grimerica Outlaw and no, uh, my name oh, is yeah. Graham, oh, yeah. my name is Graham and Grimerica and it's Grimerica Outlaw. Follow them, share them, tell your friends. I mean, it's, it's big. We'll be back on Twitter. We'll be streaming there again. Graham is the official Twitter guy now. I'm not allowed. They might one day appeal my suspension. Maybe it's the hundredth appeal they let you back in. You got to get to a human. I feel like I'm dealing with a robot, so I'm trying to figure out how I could possibly... I'm, basically, I'm trying to game a robot. So if you guys have any ideas on what sort of phrasing or buzzwords might get me past the robot to a human, let me know. I, I don't know if there is. I mean, I think that... Dude, I found a letter that fucking... If a human read it, it would have definitely thought it was from a lawyer. Yeah. And like, 
had some sort of response other than fuck off. Yeah, that's a good one. The legal, illegal letter. Dude, I, you know, I had all sorts of stuff about being for my business and blah, 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 but no, nothing. So, I don't know. Like I say, I think I'm just dealing with Elon's AI. It's just meant they don't, I don't know. It's like a weird clamp down in reverse. Did they ever let Alex Jones back on? Well, I mean, I don't know. They let Trump. I think they, I thought they let Alex. I don't know. They let Trump on, but he's never tweeted. But my theory is that it's, it's because actually? you, it's because you've got a, you're not American, you're Canadian and you've got a special check on the account because it was, because it, it's the government of Canada that doesn't want you on Twitter. It's, I, I think there's like a weird in, inter. Uh, but I've also sent them my treaty card and said that I'm a dual citizen. That's yeah. half my time in America. Yeah, so but, I should be I able know, to but, access it when I'm there. Yeah. Or then I should be able to open up a USA-based account. Yeah. But I can't. I'm not, yeah. To be honest, I haven't tried. But I mean, I, that one account, I was running straight through a VPN, you know, in America. And I just never said where I was from. But they got me. It took them two months. Which makes me think they'll just get indigenous opinions at some point. They've got AI fucking super soldiers looking for them. <laughs> Well, we're already at 30 minutes, so maybe we'll just push that uh, that roundup we were going to play for you guys this week on to next week, eh? Sure. sure. Do you have a quote? No, I don't. No. Do you want to just say something profound? <laughs> <laughs> support the show, guys. GreatAmerica.ca slash support. If you can, when you can. We can't do this stuff without you. Uh, you know, whether you can do a monthly or one-time donation. Um, it's tough out there. You know, we get it. There's a million other podcasts asking for your money. There's Substacks asking for your money. There's video things asking for your money. But we need your money more. America.ca slash support if you can, when you can. We've been doing this for over 10 years. It's all there. It's all free. And uh, this is how we've been doing it the whole time. So check out AmericaOutlaw.ca for our other show. I will read this before we go into our interview with Lindsay. I'll read this quick card. I finally, I cleaned out my truck. I found the card from Max. So, hey, Darren. It's a little dated, but thanks so much for hosting such an awesome event on Mount Shasta. I had a blast and met some awesome new friends. I'll definitely see you there again next year. Graham, we missed you. Hopefully, I'll see you on Mount Shasta next year. You've got a cool cult, bro. Thank you both for all that you do. Here's a little donation, as well as some stoner greeting cards made by yours truly. To give to your stoner friends and family. Stay free and based. Max. Max. Cool. Yeah. He also sent uh, $50 US, which is still in the center console on my truck. <laughs> which I'll probably spend. Because I'm going down to the US. So nice. Thanks, Max. We're glad you had a good time in Shasta. And uh, we do hope you come back. Anything else before? Do you have a bio for? Yeah. Yeah, I got a bio. So... I'll read, I'm going to read the bio. This is from her, her website here. Um, when she was nine years old, she remembers learning about the first test tube baby born in the UK. And she carried on this passion, passion into her profession and completely completed her research study at Regis University on hypnosis as a viable treatment for infertility. As the creator of HypnoFertility, she's the world's established expert in the field of hypnosis to promote f- fertility. 
She began using this method to facilitate pregnancy before anyone else had actively considered or pursued its benefits. Doctors, fertility clinics worldwide endorse her program. As infertility affects millions of people in the U.S., she offers alternative options to help. She works with the art and science of hypnotism to help clients access the necessary mind-body-spirit balance that helps them to become parents. She has worked with thousands of people in their fertility journeys through her global practice. Through her private practice, Three Keys Hypnofertility, she teaches others how her own techniques to help those struggling with infertility to increase their chances of healthy babies. She's also authored three books. Uh, First book, It's Conceivable, to inform people that hypnosis was a viable option to help one get pregnant. She saw how effective her private practice was and wanted to share this knowledge with a wider audience. Then she has three keys, the three keys to conception that goes beyond the art and science of hypnosis and into divine feminine spirituality and spirit babies. And she just released this new edition of Waiting in the Hypno Wings, introducing the pink starlights, which explains the process of guiding unborn babies looking for their mothers. There you have it, guys. Enjoy the chat with Lindsay Eastburn. Lindsay Eastburn, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Hi, Graham. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me. Doing great. That's good. Yeah, this will be fascinating. I was uh, really intrigued by your your work and your books, and I thought, yeah, we can, you know, a couple guys, can we can do a show on fertility. This will be fun. Well, we have yeah. any listeners out there trying to have kids? I mean, it's an important topic right now, so this will be good. Yeah, no, absolutely, and definitely affects uh, men as well as women. Right. Yeah. Oh, is, is that a whole part? Is that part of it too? Is the men and the women? You're, you're, yeah. you're, uh, wow. I do work with men. I mean, it's predominantly women, but definitely can help men too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much to get into, but let's start with maybe like a, just a quick sort of overview of your journey with the three books. Like the third one, I'm really looking forward to talking about, but they see it seems to be sort of like a, uh, uh, a process in a way. You know, you started somewhere and now you end up on this this other end of it. Yeah, I'm definitely, you know, as I go through life, finding out the time is less linear than I ever might have thought it was. I mean, I don't really think that it is, but I've definitely got, I think, proof for it at this point, because I could see how this all got started kind of way back when I'm a kid. And then at the same time, it got started a few years ago. And then at the same time, I think it's getting started in a few years. So um, yeah, it's definitely been a process. It's definitely evolved um, too. And, and it's just been a very interesting journey. 
Yeah, yeah. So this is this is all about kind of like how you've created this hypno fertility, right? And it started when you're started as an interest when you're young, and and now you've you know you're coaching people, you're you're writing books on it, and you're helping people through this process. Um, do you want to get into a bit of the background about how you sure. first got interested in it, or? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I've always been, you know, into this kind of stuff, if you will, you know, the um, beyond the uh, five o'clock world, what I call it, sort of the everyday world. And uh, even when I was a kid and when I was a little kid, I had a real concern that people who really wanted to have babies wouldn't be able to have them. And I don't really know why. I think I might have brought that through somehow energetically. I don't know, but I had a real concern that people who wanted to have babies wouldn't be able to have them. And um, when I was, I was about, this is 1978, so I was about nine, um, nine or 10, when they announced that first so-called test tube baby that was born uh, in England. And I remember being in the backseat of my parents' car, we're driving along and they come through with this, you know, comes on the radio and I, I'm just like, wow, what? Oh, this is so great. Now people who really want to have babies are going to be able to. And I mean, you know, when you're nine years old, who cares, right? Who cares about that kind of thing? But it was always important to me. And I always loved babies, you know, and, and um, I was babysat, you know, I was just all about um, babies. So that was kind of a part of it. And then, you know, as a kid, I was always, you know, I was watching all of these shows. Anytime I could find anything about spirituality, you know, anything interesting. I remember watching Yuri Geller, you know, on Merv Griffin or one of those shows, you know, bending spoons and learning all of that kind of thing. And so I always did, you know, have that interest. And then uh, down the line, I eventually got into, you know, like a meditation class and uh, just sort of I've been to psychics and things like that. And I lived in Canada. I lived uh, just outside of Toronto. And um, I was doing a spirituality class there. It was kind of a group. And I got transferred to the U.S. And it was really quick. It was like, boom, picked up, gone. And this was 1993. And so there, you know, the, we didn't have what we have now. We didn't have Zoom. We didn't have, you know, long distance types of things. And I was kind of just picked up and dropped into just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. So it was quite quite a shock. Like it was just up and like one minute, my life was one place and the next minute was something else. And I had to, um, I missed my group. So I started looking for something that I could do while I was in Georgia. And I did find an awesome um, class and it took me places. I didn't even know that I was wanting to go or that I was going to go. And then right in between there, before I left Canada, I had a visit from um, a spirit baby. Okay. And this, this was my son who's 28 years old now. And, uh, I wasn't supposed to have a second child. And so this baby shows up, he says, you know, I'm your son, I'm coming through. And I'm like, no, you're not <laughs> I'm supposed to have another baby. Um, and he's like, well, yes, I am. So basically, um, suck it up buttercup. Like, you, you know, you've got a, you got to, this is going to happen. So let's, let's get rolling with this. So this is where I say it kind of jumps around because here I'm a kid and I'm concerned about, you know, women being able to have babies or people being able to have babies in their families. And, and then at the same time, here's the spirit baby showing up, you know, years later and sort of before I'm in the field, although I am, you know, studying or working with it. And, uh, 
So then he shows up, tells me I'm having this baby. I end up in Georgia and then I end up in this group, which where the lady who's teaching it, uh, she's doing meditation and she ends up having us connect with our spirit guides. And so in connecting with the spirit guide, I get, um, I get this really awesome information that I don't know at the time is going to end up becoming a crux of this hypnofertility program I'm going to create that I don't even know about yet. Right. And so years after that, I ended up doing Reiki training. And, and that was the interesting thing because that, that uh, lady, the, that um, teacher of that particular class, she wasn't trained in Reiki when I joined her class. So she took Reiki training and I'd never heard of it. She hadn't heard of it. And then it was kind of brought to me. And I knew when I heard about it that I just had to do it. And so I ended up doing Reiki training through her. Well, as this is happening, this baby shows up. So he's coming through. I end up using um, the techniques that I'm that I'm uh, learning here and the Reiki. And I get my Reiki master um, teacher training when I um, am pregnant. So wow. the master level. So getting the Reiki one and two before um, I was pregnant. And then I was pregnant when that, when I did that. So my son came through as a Reiki master teacher level being or vibration, if if you will. Yeah. So and when so you, when, when, when you had that first spirit baby connection, was that during like a meditation or a dream or how did, how did he come through for you? He just sort of showed up and it wasn't really in a dream or a meditation. I just somehow knew he was there. It was the oddest thing. And um, yeah, and I, I was, I just had no, I had no intention to have another one, wasn't supposed to have another one, wasn't thinking about having another one. And all of a, all of a sudden he's there. And the interesting thing for me is I seem to be, you know, you can call it claircognizant, but I seem to be where things just drop into my head. So I don't know where they come from, but I kind of know that they're not mine because I wasn't thinking of that or that was something in no way anywhere near what my imagination was going to come up with, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, he just kind of shows up and I'm like, okay, that changes things. All right, I guess I can consider it. It's going to take a lot, but okay. And yeah, then it all kind of fell together that way, if it makes sense. So I end up going kind of back and forth to explain it to you just because um, it is, it, it's just, uh, time is circular. It's definitely not linear. Now, now I can see why the, the impetus for your latest book then about the the pink, what, is, what did you call it again? The pink. Starlights. The pink starlights. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there's, it's like I walk these, I walk both sides of, or two worlds, if you want to call it that, science and spirit, um, you know, sort of the ethereal realm and the physical realm. I work with the hypnofertility, which I work with, you know, um, doctors, clinics, the medical side of things. Um, and then I also work with the spiritual side. And it's kind of, like I said, evolved that way. And it was from the Reiki that I decided that I should do hypnosis training. Because I thought, wow, you know, we're doing some sort of guided meditation stuff. And, you know, hypno hypnosis seems like it would be, you know, a nice compliment. I end up in Chicago, another one of these things where I'm all of a sudden guided. I know that I have to leave Georgia and I have to go to Chicago. No, no ties to Chicago. 
you know, no reason for Chicago. And then I just know it. And then everything kind of comes together and whoosh, I'm picked up from Georgia and I end up in the Chicago area, which is where I find my hypnotherapy uh, instructor and my training there. And uh, in the first hour of the training, I just knew that this was what I was supposed to do. It was like, wow, this is beyond Reiki. This is beyond anything I could imagine. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it just continued to unfold from there. Was it connected when, when you realized that, was it already connected to fertility or just hypnosis in general? It was just hypnosis in general at that point. And uh, I didn't realize that the things that I had learned, you know, with meditation, with connecting with the spirit guides, my spirit guides, with um, all of that, with, with, my son, the spirit baby, that this was actually going to fit into yeah, yeah. what I started doing. So it was, it was odd. So here I am, I'm in hypnosis. I'm like, this is amazing. I love this. This is what I'm supposed to do. And as it turned out, I, because I was uh, doing the Reiki and this was in 1998 by now. And, uh, you know, Reiki was at that, at that point, Still there was pretty some, new. Yeah, it was. I mean, it had been around in the 80s and whatnot, but it was really kind of, I think, late 80s, early 90s when it was really starting to become a thing. And the the problem with it, though, was people were training people and they were just printing off certificates off of, you know, their home computer printer. Right. And you didn't know what you were getting, what what quality, what what was happening. You had no idea. And so the school that I trained with in Chicago, I. um I asked the um, the owner, his name's Art, and I asked him. I said, um, "Would you be interested in offering Reiki, you know, in a in like a um, educational, professional sort of educational um, from that standpoint?" And he said yes. And so I ended up developing a Reiki program. And he was a state licensed hypnosis school, and we ended up getting the Reiki program state licensed. And so it was one of the first um, state licensed Reiki programs in the U.S. Wow, that's and, great. Yeah, it was awesome because it really got to, and, and oh my gosh, where Reiki is now and where it was then, everybody thought I was crazy in 1993 <laughs> and 94. And then now I mean, people are in, in the hospitals doing Reiki. There's research on it. There's There's just so much. And so then I was sort of blending the Reiki and the hypnosis at that point. So I was starting a private practice. I was teaching Reiki. Then I started teaching some hypnosis and then whoosh, the universe picks me up and and drops me into Colorado. And in hindsight, you can kind of see how all of these things had to happen to get me to where I am now. Um, With the Lidecker Institute, they took me to um, the National Guild of Hypnotists Convention that was in uh, Nashua, New Hampshire at the time. It's in Massachusetts now. And uh, I ended up meeting my husband there. Absolutely no plans for this at all. And, um, but there he is. I meet him and we only know each other. We only meet for, you know, see each other over a couple of days. And then it's kind of, that's done. And the universe decides to pick me up and, and whoosh me here. And it turns out that Denver is a hub for infertility. Wow. Particularly for medical clinics and people come from all over the world. And even at that time they were coming from all over the world and it was two of the top, the top um, medical fertility clinics were here in Denver, in the Denver area. And so 
I move here, not knowing still that I'm going this direction, going to practice with my husband, who's um, a hypnotherapist, and he was teaching and he was in practice. And then people start showing up asking me if I can help with fertility. Wow, that's how it happened. Yeah, so kind of it's kind of a long, um, I guess, explanation, um, but it, it's so interesting to me. And it kind of, it always comes out the way that it needs to. Yeah, you know, yeah. To, to people. I find, but yeah. So do you think that's the culmination of your premonition or do you think there's still more to come? There's certainly more to come. Uh, I, and looking back at it now, you know, when people started coming to see me to help, you know, they were trying to get pregnant. They were given a less than 1% chance or a 0% chance sometimes that they would ever conceive told that they weren't candidates for in vitro. Um, in some cases, it was that they had a, a needle phobia, and hypnosis is well known for helping with phobias. And so if you are, I don't know if you know much about IVF, but you're going to take a lot of, you know, shots, needles, whatever. You can't have an issue with that if, if you're going to undergo something like that. There's there's just no way. And so hypnosis was known for some of those things. And then also people, hypnosis tends to often be um, last resort. And people have tried everything else, done everything else, or just willing, ready to give up. And oh well, I may as well try hypnosis. And hypnosis works, even when people are feeling hopeless, even when they don't believe. Unbelieving, yeah, yeah, yep. And and it works. And so this, um, you know, transitioned nicely into the fertility aspect. And so what happened is, I'm all of a sudden I'm getting these babies. You know, women are getting pregnant. Babies are showing up even though they're not, they're not supposed to be according to, you know, various medical diagnoses or prognoses that they've received. And then I think, oh my gosh, this is it. I can help people to have babies. I can help people to bring these babies in just like I always wanted to do or that I was always concerned with. And, and I was trained in hypnobirthing. And so I did help people with, um, you know, childbirth. But there was nothing known about fertility hypnosis. And I thought, wow, somebody's got to be doing something with this. And so as I got more and more people coming in, I started uh, researching and there just wasn't anything out there. You know, it's not to say somebody hadn't maybe helped somebody to get pregnant with hypnosis, but nobody was, you know, training. There was no material. There was nothing in books. Um and some of the treatments that people could, you know, the options that they had, hypnosis was not one of them. And they didn't have very many options. And then they didn't have mm -hmm. hypnosis. So that made, you know, me even more excited about it and enthusiastic and wanting to let people know that it it, it would be helpful and very helpful. Because you'd already sort of inadvertently helped people with it before you had started sort of like a formal program? Exactly. I just started working with people. They came in, you know, can you help me get pregnant? Here's my issue. Or can you help me with this? Or I'm, I have a needle phobia or I have some other type of issue that's happening. And, um, and yeah, I, you know, I worked with them based on, you know, classic, you know, hypnosis techniques, I guess you could call it. And, uh, people struggling with infertility are also dealing with things like anxiety and stress and, you know, other things that hypnosis is, again, known for and, and really beneficial for. And so I was able to draw on that. And then the next thing, like I say, babies started showing up. 
and people started showing up. It was like more and more people. Can you help me? Can you help me? And, and it was like, I hadn't done anything. I wasn't advertising it. I hadn't even figured out it was a thing yet. You know, I was still working with smoking and, and, uh, weight loss and other things that you do, you know, test taking, whatnot with hypnosis, and then doing more and more and more with fertility. And so when I realized that, you know, nobody was doing anything with it, there wasn't anything out there. I'm going to develop it, I guess. I mean, I was developing it. I didn't even have to make a conscious decision to do it. I already was. So that's great. So what did the development aspect look like then? Did you start sort of doing some some testing with people or, or how did, what did that look like when you started to, were you telling people like, Hey, we're developing this into a program too. Did you start to garner more, more people just through that exercise as well? Well, it was almost more from um, an observation standpoint. Women would come in and say to me, you know, they told me I can't have a baby or they told me I have a 0% chance or, or they told me just to adopt or whatever it was. But or this I unexplained feel, in, or this unexplained right. infertility I wanted to ask you about. What is that? Right, right. So they would say, I feel like there's a baby there. And I would say, yeah, I believe you. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I know about this because of my son who shows up and tells me that he's coming through. Right. And, um, but I would say, I believe you. And we would work from there. Unexplained infertility is about 25% of infertility diagnoses is unexplained. It's unexplained infertility. And basically that means that there's not a medical cause at least that they can find. Now to me, that's great. You know, from a hypnosis stand, standpoint, I'm like, oh my gosh, that just says subconscious mind. That just, you know, with everything that I know about hypnosis and, and healing arts and energy work, it's like that says, um, this is this is what it is. This is going to be helpful for unexplained infertility. This is mind or emotion or um, spiritual or all of the above. And you know, when you hear about psychosomatic illness, for example, people used to be dismissed over that. Oh, it's psychosomatic, but it doesn't matter because if you have you know a stomach ache or a headache or whatever it is, or you know you can't speak, it doesn't matter if it's psychosomatic because it's still affecting you. And it was the same thing. I could just see that immediately with unexplained infertility. And it's not to say there isn't something there that they just haven't found, but in so many cases, it is absolutely some type of um, subconscious imprint or block. And the hypnosis is able to release that pretty quickly. So you would, you would help these, help these ladies um, get through the various, various, various situations and then, um, and then you started creating sort of more of a, a defined program out of it, like the three keys, I guess. Right, right, exactly. I, I ended up seeing all of these people. I realized I had, I was learning a lot, and I was seeing patterns. I've always been really good at seeing patterns, and I was noticing similarities, and I was noticing a lot. And then I was starting to see um, what people were struggling with, and um, it was really becoming very clear to me that that um, this was an issue in and of itself from the hypnotic standpoint. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a diagnosis, infertility, and it's a catastrophic diagnosis. It's very, very difficult for people um, to deal with. And so I was realizing that it was also, you know, its own thing from the hypnotic standpoint. So I started, um, I started teaching people. I realized I was, I was, 
gathering all of this information. I was having all of these babies show up. I was having clients take my um, brochures or my business cards into the medical clinics and telling them what was going on. And so I was like, okay, well, let's do it. And I, and people wanted to learn. So I started, um, I started teaching in 2003 and I called it hypnofertility, which made sense, right? Hypnosis for fertility, hypnofertility, you know, 2002 got hypnofertility.com, you know, was working with that. And, uh, and it really just evolved and it just continued to evolve. So early on, it was a lot of the art and science of hypnosis, you know, how the, how the subconscious mind is involved and the autonomic nervous system and, you know, which, you know, with the fight or flight aspect of that and the rest and digest or feed and breed side of it and um, stress and anxiety. And then it also messes with people's self, you know, confidence, self-worth, self-value. Um, and then women are very, very hard on themselves when they can't get pregnant. And it's it's very devastating. And so all of these things are also things that hypnosis can help with. So then it just began to um, progress. I wrote in 2005, I released it in 06, was um, It's Conceivable, my first book, Hypnosis for Fertility. And it was, well, I just want to let people know this is an option. You know, people didn't know. They, it just wasn't, like I said, it wasn't an option that people were given. Even when they were going to fertility clinics, they would be sent to acupuncture. Um, and mostly at that time, it was like acupuncture, maybe some chiropractic, nutrition. Um, and then people would go to, you know, Reiki or massage or things like that. But it wasn't necessarily associated with it. It was almost like at that time, people were looking for what else can support me. And I wanted them to know that hypnosis was an option. And it it's a great option because it's not contraindicated to anything. It supports everything. So right. whatever they're doing, medical or natural conception, if they're doing acupuncture, nutrition, whatever else is going on, you know, um, it's helpful. So can you can you just talk about a couple of specific examples, like somebody that came in and they're like, I've been told like zero or one percent chance. And then you go through a couple of sessions with them and all of a sudden they come back a few months later and say they're pregnant? Absolutely. I mean, I had so, so many of them. I even put case studies in the book and it was just so fascinating to me. But um, one person in particular that I remember, she, uh, she had, I can't remember exactly what the diagnosis was, but they were going to do a hysterectomy on the spot. They wanted to do a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And she said, um, oh my gosh, I'm getting a second opinion. Like I haven't had my kids yet. I want to have children. They said, oh, forget it. We need to do the hysterectomy. So she had gotten a second opinion and they had said, you have six months to get pregnant, six months to get pregnant, have the baby. And right away after that, we are doing a hysterectomy. And so Gee, a little pressure, right? Yeah. Six months to get pregnant. There's the shock of of finding out that you're going to need a, you know, hysterectomy. And um, I worked with her, you know, a couple of times and she got pregnant and she did have that baby. And uh, and that that was a really difficult scenario because that's incredible stress and pressure to put on someone. And like I say, with women especially. It's such an emotional issue. And so finding out things like that, that can create subconscious blocks. 
you know, the diagnosis or being told that you need to have a hysterectomy, it, it's a hypnosis in and of itself because it bypasses the conscious mind and it just goes straight into the subconscious mind. And then that becomes our reality, if you will. I always say reality in air quotes, but that, be, that can become um, our reality, whether we want it to be, whether we think it should be, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So a lot of what I'm doing with the hypnosis is, in a sense, dehypnotizing people coming from what they've been told. Wow. Deprogramming them. Wow. And does this help with the birthing process and during pregnancy and also postpartum depression and stuff too? Like, is it through the whole, the whole cycle that, that yeah. you can help them? Yeah. They don't have to stay for the whole thing, but they usually do. But all the, yeah, all the way through um, helping them to conceive in whatever their, their own circumstances are. And then a lot of times people are so stressed out over not being able to get pregnant or having miscarried that getting a positive pregnancy test doesn't just end it. Then they're like, well, now I've got to get, you know, I've got to get through this milestone and that's milestone. I got to make sure I stay pregnant. I want to get through the first trimester or this happened. And if somebody lost a baby at six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks, then they are just on, on, um, you know, pins and needles trying to survive you know, through that time to feel like they can actually just be pregnant and not be worrying about it. Yeah. Is there, is there anything else that you, that you, um, that sort of doesn't match with like sort of our mainstream perception of the birthing process or getting pregnant or that, that you've found that, um, I don't know that you kind of don't agree with like, like what, at what age would you say, women can get pregnant up to, for example? See, I don't have any attachment to age. So that's definitely one thing. My average client is probably about 45. And I don't care how old they are. The only reason I ask is because I know what they're getting from, you know, out in the world. Right, right. You know, so it doesn't matter to me. And I'll, I'll say, and how old are you? I don't care. Like, I'll say it exactly like that. How old are you? I don't care. I just know what you're getting out there. That's the only reason I want to know. Um, because, you know, 35 and over is considered um, high risk. It's considered geriatric. It's um, And then it just gets worse the older they get. And then, you know, the uh, more traditional medicine puts out a lot of statistics. And then people get really freaked out by statistics. But statistics only tell you what a group of people are likely to do or might do in a circumstance rather than what an individual person will actually experience. Wow. That's interesting. So, so do you, have you seen older women get pregnant then? Like what would be some numbers that would sort of yeah. surprise yep. me? Like um, late, for, late, like mid forties? 49 40s? is my oldest um, natural pregnant. And um 54 at this point is with medical wow. assistance, my oldest. Yeah. What, what do you mean by medical assistance? So using IVF or using, you know, um, so the 49 year old or, or that that's my oldest one that got pregnant without any medical assistance, just, you know, the old fashioned way, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah. And then um, 54 is my oldest at this point who's using, um, who's been using uh IVF or some type of medical assistance. Wow, that's fascinating. Is is there anything else that stands out in that respect? Like sort of 
that we wouldn't really know about because we've just been sort of reading, you know, headlines about pregnancy and fertility? Well, the spirit baby aspect, I mean, and the spiritual aspect of birth. And uh, it's interesting because these uh, medical clinics are actually getting a little bit more spiritual in some ways. Um, at least, if nothing else, they are having, um, you know, people from the healing arts, you know, either on staff or they have people to refer to. I call it the healing arts, but things like reflexology, massage, acupuncture, hypnosis, Reiki, any of that the kind non, of thing. Non, Non-mainstream kind of stuff, yeah. Right, yeah. because early on when I was doing this and, and people would ask their um, RE, their reproductive endocrinologist, you know, well, I'm, what do you think of this or I'm going to do that? Uh, a lot of them would say, well, if you want to waste your money, but, you know, it's not going to hurt you kind of thing. And so um, now they're they're much more... In fact, myself, I mean, I'm actually known in the field. So a lot of the clinics actually know me um, by name, if not personally. And so, yeah, they're they're um, quite supportive of it. And it was, I think, 2007, I was uh, interviewed on uh, Denver 7 News. And they actually contacted one of the um, fertility clinics here, one of the two really big ones. And, uh, and the doctor you know, got on camera and he said, Oh, absolutely. Hypnosis can help. And, uh, he said, if, you know, you're under stress, you can think that you're ovulating, but you may not be releasing a mature egg and the hypnosis can help with that. So just right there, he, um, and then I met with him later and he told me about a study that he had seen that was done in Vienna regarding, um, amenorrhea, which is women that didn't have their menstrual cycles. And it was a very small study, but 12 women, uh, I believe they had one hypnosis session. I think, I think it was one. And, um, anyway, there were 12 of them and doing that session, nine out of 12 got their cycles back. And the other three thought that, um, or said that they felt better. And I mean, in, in a very short amount of time as well. And I've definitely been able to help people get their cycles started. And I had a, a student that trained with us a number of years ago, and she was in her 50s. And she said, can you start my menstrual cycle? Because I just want to see if it can be done. I said, okay, let's see. And we did. (laughs) There it was. I'm definitely um, the type that's going to try things. You know, I'm definitely not going to say no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play by somebody else's rules. I'm going to see. And she was a a nurse. She was a registered nurse. But yeah, it was, uh, she was just thrilled. She was so thrilled with that. And uh, sometimes that's an issue people are struggling with is they have irregular menstrual cycles and, um, you know, hypnosis can help straighten that out. And that that can be helpful for both natural conception or um, medically assisted because you really can't start some of these um, procedures. You can't get started on these cycles until you have cycle day one. Yeah. So people can yeah. be just waiting, you know, sort of just hanging there waiting on cycle day one. Yeah. Darren, do you got any questions at all? What does a dude got to do to do to? Oh, yeah, right. You know, we they say we can just keep going, but that must still, you know, waver. Or, um, you know, sort of just change from guy to guy. It's got to deplete. So what a guy's got to do to stay uh, viable. Sometimes. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. The dudes, we definitely have to talk about them. And you know, about 40% of infertility diagnoses are either um partially male factor or exclusively male factor. And women do tend to take the responsibility or or kind of um take the action when it comes to infertility, but definitely there are issues for men. And a lot of times it's to do, you know, with the sperm, you know, sperm count, whatever's going on with that. And the hypnosis can help to, um, well, it's connected to stress is one thing for sure. So in alleviating stress that can in and of itself help with, you know, any issues with sperm. And I remember early on when I was developing this, there was a study that was done. I think it was in the UK and um, they had shown that when they did a, an infertility workup on a, a male and a female right at the beginning, and they first got the diagnosis, when the man had nothing wrong, you know, it was no male factors, everything was fine. Uh, it was something to do with, you know, whatever her issue was. A year later, after struggling to conceive and struggling with all of these, you know, um, medical treatments or whatever else they were doing, men then would have a low sperm count because of just the sheer stress involved. Wow. There's yep. also that study, there's also that study from um that countdown book by Dr. Shauna Swan. Um sperm levels in men, I guess this was a 2017 study down 50%. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, is this I mean, I guess that's something you can help with too, regardless of whether the sperm levels are down or not, right? If if Yeah. if men can get that help, it might help. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's definitely a lot of this is stress related, but that's not to say it's only stress or that stress is the cause. Um, but a lot of, you know, it's very stressful and frustrating to go through. Uh, I don't like to call it infertility because it's anti-hypnotic, but that's the diagnosis that people are talking about, right? So um, it's very stressful to go through that. And it's hard on relationships. And then oftentimes men just cannot handle the level of emotion that goes along with this. And I talk a lot about this, calling it the, the balance of biology and destiny. It's like, it's like we're being hit women, especially are being hit on two levels. There is that desire to have a baby, that spiritual or emotional, or even romantic desire to have the family, to have the baby. And then there's that, that biological clock and that is evolution and that is survival of the species. And so we do have a clock and we are driven to um, procreate. Now, lots of women decide that they don't want to, and that's great. And there's certainly people who shouldn't even have any children, but when you want to have a child and you can't, or you can't get pregnant, it, it is just unbearable. It is so difficult in so many situations. And then for men trying to be supportive, it's really hard because there's really no right way. And um, it's just such women that are struggling to get pregnant, they become quite obsessive. And they'll tell you that. They'll say, you know, like, I'm neurotic. I'm absolutely obsessed with this. I can't think about anything else. And that can be hard on relationships. It can be difficult on people not quite knowing how to be supportive because they don't really know how you can support them. So how is somebody else going to do it? Um, and then a lot of times with men, it's just they're protective and they want to help and they want to fix and they can't. 
And so sometimes I'll end up working with couples to try to balance that out and, uh, and to help this not be at the forefront 24 seven so that they can maybe have, you know, dinner or a cup of tea or something together without this program running in the background about what cycle day am I on? Do I have enough cervical mucus? Um, you know, is he going to be home or is he going to be traveling when it's, you know, ovulation day and all of these kinds of things that that, that is there constantly. And so being able to provide some relief for that is another thing that uh, is helpful for men. Is there another mechanism that helps men? Like what about um, sort of all the the problems with chemicals? Like I, I think the the book that, that I mentioned there, the countdown, she, she's talking quite a bit about chemicals. Like the general fertility rate is the lowest since they've been tracking it in 1909, I think. So it's almost like divine timing for your work too. I mean, you're, you're coming in at the point when it's needed the most. Yeah, there, there is definitely an energetic component to this and the chemical aspect. Oh my gosh. That's like, yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing in and of itself. Um, the toxins, the toxins and poisons and, uh, oh, just everything that's going on. Now, at the same time, human beings um, are adaptable. Because if we weren't, we'd be dead. And so, you know, we are adaptable. We're also hypnotizable. So there's hypnosis that I do, which is a therapeutic hypnosis or professional or clinical or whatever you want to call it hypnosis. But then there's a mass hypnosis that is out there. It is a thing. And it is that we are told things and they can become a part of our belief system and then can become a part, you know, of our um, biology, of our experience. And so if people are, you know, certain that they, that, uh, you know, their fertility is down or nowadays people don't, um, they don't even just try to get pregnant in a lot of cases. They go to a doctor to ask for permission and, you know, let's, let's do a workup. Um, let's get an all clear and find out that I can get pregnant. And then oftentimes they find out that something is wrong. And so, that in and of itself can cause a block. And it's the same with finding out about chemicals or lower fertility rates that can cause a belief system that can also manifest. If that makes any sense. I'm not yeah, denying well, yeah. that there are chemical issues at all, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Especially, we don't always know. Ex- that, yeah. Yeah. Especially the example about going, like you, you haven't even tried yet before you're going to the doctor to get permission. And then, you know, then that your whole viewpoint can change. I mean, you might've been able to already do it if you didn't have that, that programming. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you just see this over and over. It's, it's expected. And a lot of, if you look at celebrities, we do tend to be influenced by celebrities. And so the celebrities have put the fertility issue into, you know, the collective it's a lot more present. And so people are that much more aware of it. It's in, I'm amazed because I can't watch a TV show or go to a movie half the time without ending up at, at work because there's an infertility plot line or subplot going on there. And it's like, that never used to be there. And now I was watching, oh, what was it on Netflix, that Haunting of Hill House. And I was watching that in here in the midst of you know, ghosts and hauntings, whatever all else is going on. One of the main characters goes to the, with his wife to the infertility doctor 
and has this whole infertility um, subplot in the middle of the haunting of Hill House. <laughs> and I'm like, I really just wanted to watch this show. I didn't want to work because then I get working, right? Because then I hear, what did they say? That's not true. Oh, that's not, you know, you know I get into that. So, um, but yeah, it is, it's, it's there. And so people have this expectancy of needing to go to a doctor and getting an all clear, getting permission. People used to just go off the pill or stop using birth control. Well, okay, we're going to try, let's do it. But now people are, are going to ask for permission. And my husband, um, you know, and I try to have a little bit of humor with this because you just have to, it's so difficult to struggle with this. When my husband, um, I swear he's a closet stand-up but uh, comic, but he said, he said, geez, when I was, um, you know, in my day, all it took was a six pack of beer in the backseat of a Buick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they used to have, when they used to have bench seats in the back. You know. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was true. And if you think about it, all those, you know, accidental pregnancies that would happen, what were they trying to do? Not get pregnant. And what was the hypnosis around what's going to happen if you have sex in the back of a car? If you're 18, if you're at the drive-in or whatever that is, there's a hypnosis around that too. And so I'm not saying everybody gets pregnant because of a belief system or doesn't get pregnant because of it, but it certainly plays a role and sometimes a very, a very strong role. What, what do you think of all these, uh, like speaking of the, you know, the test tube thing that you found out when you were a kid and now we've gotten to the point where in Germany, there's like a whole room full of, um, I guess, like, I don't even know what to call them, like incubators with, with babies, um, like growing them from, I guess the beginning up. I mean, it's, it's this whole sort of fake sort of transhumanism kind of shift. I mean, compared to the natural birth, I mean, even the C-section is sort of a part of, a part of that, but. What do you think about the whole, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, it's it's very tough. I can't think too much about it. Um, there's the ethics aspect of all of these things that are going on, you know. Um, it's it's frightening for people. I, yeah, it, it's really tough. Like, 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 what is a baby that's not in a mother's womb? Like, how right. can that even be? A, is that even a human? I mean, what? Because we, we learned about all these things that happen, like the difference between C-section and natural birth is quite astounding now that we know more about it. Not that that's changed anything, but imagine not even being in there to begin with. Like, Yeah, that is, oh my gosh, that that is just, I don't even know what to say to you about that. I mean, that is so, you know, brave new world. Um, and you're, you know, you're dispensed your 2.2 children or whatever that is supposed to be. Um, yeah, it's the ethics of this, you know, uh, Octomom way back when they, she was only 25 or 26 years old and she already had children. So they look at certain, uh, you know, certain things, certain markers or certain things that are going to indicate somebody's likelihood of being able to conceive or, you know, being able to get pregnant with IVF. And they, they didn't take any precautions and they put, six embryos and two of them split. So that's why there ended up being eight. She already had kids. She was, you know, 25 or 26 years old. So there were a lot of reasons that they should not have been putting that many embryos in her. And because of that, it's changed things a lot. Like nowadays, I used to see where they would just put four, five, seven embryos in kind of the idea of throw spaghetti at the wall and see if it'll stick. But then they were getting into a, a place where if, 
seven, you know, there were seven babies, then they would have to do selective reduction, which would be to try to take some of them out. Well, now you've been trying to get pregnant for all of this time, and now you are pregnant, and now they want to take some of them. And I mean, it just causes just so much. So, so we don't see that too much anymore. We don't see triplets too much anymore because they've changed a lot of it. But these babies at least are born, you know, they are, um, they are inside the womb. They're born from the mothers. And I guess it's going to depend on people of what they can handle because nowadays you've got donor eggs, donor sperm, donor embryos. You've got surrogates. You can get a donor embryo to place into a surrogate. You can, there's all sorts of, of uh, combinations. And, you know, for some people, they, they just don't want to use a donor egg or a don or donor sperm or both or either. And some people, it doesn't matter. And you do get actually a, what you could call a hybrid baby when you have a donor egg, but the mother carries the baby. So if I'm carrying the baby and it's, it's a, someone else's egg, that baby is going to be part of that person and me as well as the father, whoever the sperm donor is. And so that's different. And now they're working on something where they are the three person baby. I think they're calling it and they're taking, uh, they're blending somehow. I'm not, not sure exactly how it's working, but at, at this point, but they're taking a piece out of a donor egg and a, and a, the other person's egg and somehow to merging them. I'm not giving, I, I know I'm not explaining well, this very well, but you're getting a three person baby is basically. Right, right, right. Which is sort of what you're saying with a hybrid too. I mean, which really make it really sort of, uh, it matters because your last, your last book is called, this is about the pink starlights. And I mean, it makes me think like, would a pink starlight even be able to go into that fake environment, whether it's the three person baby thing or the, or the, or the non-human incubator, like would, because if, if you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, I think you're, you're kind of saying that these pink starlights, you, you help them choose their, their mother. And we can get into that at, at the end here. Like you're, which, which is quite fascinating. And and how would like is that aspect completely missing? You know, if if you don't use a human, or if you or if you don't even do it sort of somewhat naturally, like if you're starting to hybrid things, I mean, yeah, are you leaving out the spiritual aspect altogether? Oh, absolutely. And um, well, when I say hybrid, I'm talking about the baby is part of, I mean, the egg, but two also mom, two mom, the, yeah. Yeah, the characteristics yeah. of the mother, like they're in my body, so they're going to be part of me. Um, so that's what yeah. I mean when I say that, yeah, yeah. but yeah, but, but, but however they're managing to, yeah, the, the further it, oh, it gets away from being, you know, within the woman, within the body, um, I just, yeah, it's just a whole other show. I mean, it's just so, so much. And sometimes I think, oh my gosh, I mean, I love what I do and, and helping people to have their babies. And sometimes I think I could retire and just write sci-fi with some of it because some of it is really so far out. So part of what I'm trying to do is keep people grounded and keep the mind, body, spirit aspect, you know, in pregnancy. And even if you're getting pregnant, you know, using um, a Petri dish, right. You know, you're still conceiving that baby in love. Yeah. yeah. And, and hypnotically speaking, I, I connect that so that, you know, regardless of where, when or where you had an, an embryo transfer, you get to create in your mind the connection that you had with your partner. 
and conceiving that baby. Right. So how did, how did the pink starlights inform their chosen mother then? Like, can you talk a little bit about that part then? Like your, your latest book on, on. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because I'm a left brain person. And if you know anything about astrology, I'm a Capricorn. So it's like, sometimes this stuff is like really hard for me to go. What are you telling me? I got to do this now. I'm being bossed around by spirit babies that call themselves pink starlights. And this is true. This is my world. And uh, so when I wrote, it's conceivable. And the idea was, you know, hypnosis to help people to get pregnant. And then it evolved into more of the spiritual aspect. I mean, it was always there, but it wasn't my emphasis. And so in my, in my next book, The Three Keys to Conception, that's when I started talking about the mind, body, spirit more and, um, you know, how to bring the babies in from that spiritual piece. And they do choose their parents. So then in 2016, and I wrote that book in 2013, I was so thrilled. I'm like, okay, I wrote two books. I'm good. I'm done. It said everything I got to say. And then these babies show up in 2016 and tell me that, hey, we are called the pink starlights. They didn't tell me it immediately, but, and you need to write a book for us. And here's the title. It's called Waiting in the Wings, Introducing the Pink Starlights. And you need to let people know about us. And they are different from indigo children and, and crystal children and, you know, any of, of that that you might have heard of. And they have their own purpose. And they do choose their mothers. And the interesting thing about the pink starlight, part of what this is, is elevating the energies of the planet and of us, the, all the inhabitants of the planet. We're in a lot of trouble at the rate we're going. Uh, we've really abused this planet. Um, we've really abused each other and ourselves and, uh, you know, all the chemicals that you're talking about and these types of things. So this needs to heal. This needs to change. And this is what these babies are bringing through. So part of what I'm doing in helping people be aware of them, just in coming through, they're elevating the vibrational frequency. They're bringing more light. That's why they picked that, you know, um, starlight. You know, it's light is brilliance. It's, it's really powerful light. And pink is the unconditional love. And so just coming through, that's shifting and what we're needing to do is bring that much more through. And that's going to help to deal with, you know, all of this other neglect or abuse and all there's so much violence going on as well. And all the waste, you know, we're poisoning, poisoning lakes and oceans and land and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's where the pink starlight piece comes in. And they tend to pick older mothers. Um, they need mothers, they anchor to their mothers. I mean, they'll sometimes come true to the dad. And a lot of times, too, I don't always work with couples, so that people who choose to be single um, and just have a baby on their own or, you know, same-sex couples. So it's not always a male-female thing. Um, but they'll come through and they need the mother or they need their parents to be open-minded and to be willing to you know, like listen to podcasts like this, for example, you know, they need to be able to have some type of, of spiritual connection. It doesn't have to be religion, but they have to be able to be open to ideas of energy, of vibratory frequency, of, you know, crystals or colors of unconditional love. And um, in because they have to have that because they, these babies don't have time to teach us. So when the indigos came through, I mean, they would end up having quite a rough time because they'd end up in in these families where there was 
a lot of organized religion or a lot of child abuse or a lot of things going on that they had to break down because they were breaking the old paradigms down, paving the way really for this. And so the pink starlights don't have time for that. So their parents need to be um, open-minded. They need to be energetically open. Um, they need to be aware, right? Awake, aware. Um, and so if their little child comes home and says, um, you know, well, I want to be a vegetarian, that they're not left out of the room. Or they say, you know, um, I want to, I want to meditate. Or mom comes in and says, what are you doing? I'm meditating. And they don't get laughed at. They go, oh, really? So tell me about this, you know? Um, does that make sense? So we have to, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost a new level of people. That's why I'm doing all these, these podcasts too, these fantastic podcasts where people are learning or expanding beyond what I call it the five o'clock world. It's just like the sort of nine to five, nothing else really exists. You go to work, you come home, you have a beer, you watch TV, you cut the grass on the weekend, do the laundry kind of thing, right? That we can't, they can't go there. We need more than that at this point. So, and part of that is, I guess, uh, affirming the mothers, maybe like mothers that maybe have some kind of communication or some kind of uh, intuition about this, like helping them affirm this and open them up to this uh, pre preconception communication, maybe. Right, right. And it's amazing. I mean, there used to be people would go to a psychic and a psychic might say, oh, you're gonna have three kids, you're gonna have two boys and three girls or things like that. But now there's tons of spirit baby readers. That's what they specialize in. And so there's a lot of awareness of the spirit baby aspect of this now. And uh, there was a book, uh, Walter McKitchen wrote it back in right around the time It's Conceivable came out called Spirit Babies. And that was one of kind of, I think, the first things that were really bringing this into our awareness. And uh, now there's just so much more awareness of that. And so I always say my clients are the babies, not the mothers. Right, right. But they, they um, send their moms to me if they need, you know, whatever that kind of help is. So when I started doing hypnofertility, I worked with all sorts of people um, because it was, you know, people were coming in, it was being developed. And then at this point, I've taught a lot of people, I've trained a lot of people. So there's a lot more um, availability out there. And then mine has, you know, my work has just streamlined more into that um, spiritual aspect and specifically the pink starlights. Are there some ways that they would inform their chosen mother? Like, is there some some sort of standard ways? Like, do they come to them in dreams or just uh, in meditation or anything like that? Or just as a feeling or an intuition where there might be some sort of open communication happening? Yeah, they can come in all sorts of ways. Um, a lot of times it is a dream uh, or it might be a sense. And what's really funny, sometimes it comes from children. And... Um, a little niece or nephew, or, you know, if you're a teacher, some little, little kindergarten kid or somebody comes up and says, you have a baby. And the person hasn't even, or has been maybe thinking in the back of their mind or has been wanting to get pregnant um, or even maybe trying to get pregnant, but this, this child announces it, which is just fascinating. And in waiting in the wings, I have a chapter about siblings and other children and their roles in helping to bring these pink starlights in. Wow. Interesting. Darren, do you got any questions at all? Well, I think it's important. I just think it's going to get way worse before <laughs> it gets better. Um, 
you know, I don't know what your thoughts are, are on it, but it seems like since we had a certain sort of intervention into our decision making, those sort of th- sorts of things seem to be on the rise. I can't really get any more specific than that without getting kicked off of actually we're not on YouTube. So I'll just say that it seems like the shots are making this worse. Do you agree with that statement? Have you noticed an uptick? Um, the shots, did you say? Yeah, the COVID vaccinations. I mean, oh, I've been oh, oh, okay. that the COVID vaccines are causing this and that. In your world, is that a like a conspiracy theory? Or do you are you noticing this in your line of work? I'm not seeing it. Um, and when you said shots, because I'm do- thinking IVF, right? So that's yeah, where yeah. I went. To. I'm like, what? Okay. Um, yeah, I you know honestly don't know. Um, with that, I I think it could go either way. I certainly think it can have an effect and. But I don't really know, honestly. And I've asked a lot of people because I do work with um, medical doctors and I work with natural practitioners and and I ask my clients what they've been told. And um, but I have a very small sample, if you will, if you consider all of the people who are are getting or not getting vaccines. So um, I haven't really seen anything myself but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that that would be the final word on the subject yeah 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 is there anything you you think we didn't cover before we start wrapping it up no i mean i think we got to talk about a lot of really neat stuff and and it's such a cool show and we could go in so many more directions like there's just so many other things so just trying to stick to the topic um you know sort of in and of itself as it is but there's just yeah yeah i think yeah talked about some great stuff i think what we should mention is is uh your your website's full of awesome resources and you do train you do train other you you do sort of train other people in in these programs right yeah i train hypnotherapists uh to do the work and uh yeah and i do have some workshops and i'm actually going to be doing a free hypno fertility two-hour workshop on um online and I meant to write the date down for you. We just set it today, actually. So it's in about three, four weeks. I can't remember the exact date off the top of okay. my head, but that'll be out there. Um, and, and it'll be an experiential so people will get to learn about it and have some hypnofertility, some hypnosis um, as part of that workshop. Yeah, let me know and I'll put it in the show notes and we'll, and we'll try and get, we'll make sure this gets out before that, uh, before that. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we did talk a little about Reiki early on and, and I did mention my son, um, I did my Reiki master training when I was pregnant and he came through with that. And one of the things I did learn was these babies love Reiki. So I oftentimes will tell people, have you had a Reiki treatment or have you thought about getting a level one attunement? And, uh, it just seems like that's just like, that's a real, um, really helpful. Or the okay, babies yeah. just love Reiki, and um, yeah. So I just thought I would I would mention that too. I mean, I'm yeah. gonna I don't teach Reiki anymore. I did that years ago. I'm I'm going to run um, a couple of little Reiki workshops probably in the future. But um, but yeah, if you're you know if anyone's just trying to get pregnant or or you know and you have the opportunity to get Reiki, get a session uh, or do an attunement, it's it just is really in harmony with these babies. And and it's not hard to do to go through like a weekend long training session for Reiki one and two. Like it's, it's fun. You're with a group of people that are all learning together. It's, I mean, I've, I had great experience with my, with my training. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And the pink starlights do have me now doing an attunement that is somewhat similar to Reiki, Uh but it's not Reiki, but that they want me to work on more and more. So that's something that's kind of in the works too. Are you thinking of a whole new Reiki? I know a friend of mine does like a holy, she created a whole new, like a holy fire Reiki thing, but are you thinking about a, a different sort of whole Reiki thing for the pink starlights? Um, or just well, like I a, wasn't just until you said that, and they do have this way of of um, taking over the the um, interviewers and telling me things that way. But um, <laughs> I do Holy Fire Reiki. I I trained in Usui way back, and I upgraded to um, Holy Fire. So I am going to run a workshop for people that want to upgrade. That you know, um, at some point, for people who are already certified, I'm planning on doing that for like fifty seven dollars or something, yeah, just yeah. so that I can I can help bring more light into the world. But um, it's kind of an attunement process. It's not a whole new Reiki, as far as I know, but it's more like attuning people to that um, high level vibratory frequency that is um, aligned with the pink that unconditional love and that really high level light. And we need a lot of that high level light. And if we can bring that in, it is actually going to address a lot of the other issues that we have, like um, vaccination concerns and and, um, chemicals and uh, toxins and poisons and stuff. Um, It's going to make some interesting changes that are kind of beyond what we might think in, in more of a linear way of, uh, you know, of thinking or more of an old fashioned, if you will, way of this equals that. And we have to do this and you can't undo that if you've done this. And, and we're going to be able to um, clear out a lot, a lot of this stuff. I like it. It's a, it's a good to keep open-minded for all of us too, to not get stuck in the negative sort of like the negative paradigm of that, that anything can happen. It doesn't have to be a linear process that something can come in and just everything can shift on a dime. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, a kindness and compassion is so huge and um, people get so hurt and so upset over, you know, so many of the things that are going on and they hurt each other and they hurt themselves and, um, and people who have, let's say they had the vaccine and then they feel really bad about it or they regret it, or let's say they didn't or whatever it is. It's not, it's not over. Like you're not done for, you know what I mean? There's going to be more, there's healing, there's light, there's more that's coming through that's going to help alleviate damage and whatever it is that however people um, determine damage for themselves, because people all have different, um, different ways of interpreting things. And I'm very much about, I definitely have my ideas and the way I see things and think about things, but I'm also really, really open-minded and I try to be really, really considerate because we're hurting people. We're hurting people. And even people are talking about, you see them, the whole natural this, natural that, breastfeeding, blah, 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 blah. And then they're beating up people who've had a cesarean or something along the lines which couldn't be helped or maybe was chosen or maybe they didn't have the information imagine what kindness and compassion is going to be able to do for any of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Good spot to wrap it up too. Yeah. Lindsay, this has been great. Where can our listeners track you down? If they want to get more of your stuff, it's it'll all be in the show notes, but we find it's good to always mention it here as well for the people that don't make their way to the show notes. 
Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Hypnofertility.com. It's probably the easiest way to find me. Lots of information on the website. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So it's hypnofertility on Facebook and it's lindsay.eastburn on uh, Instagram. And that's probably, but I would say the website's probably the easiest. And maybe I say that because I'm not so great with social media and I like websites. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. No, right? I mean, it's like, I can do that. And people say Instagram, I'm like, what? <laughs> All right, Lindsay. Right on. And great. Uh, we wish you the best. Come back anytime and have a wonderful night. Thanks so much for having thanks, me, Lindsay. guys. It's been wonderful. I appreciate it. Good. Glad you liked right. it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. And that was our chat with Lindsay Eastburn. What do you think, buddy? Wow, that was great. You think we could hypnotize you enough to get you pregnant? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, you, I could, mean you. Well, right. you know, I mean, I heard some some dudes are getting pregnant I these days. Some dudes are getting pregnant, <laughs> going around. Have you been considering trying to get Maria pregnant? No, no. She's 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 missing that. Uh, She's yeah. missing the hardware. And, and I mean, geez, dude, you'd be like 70 where that kid moves out. I mean, <laughs> there's that to consider. I think my first girlfriend's dad was really old, too. I think he was like, I think he was like 60 or 70 when we were kids. It was really weird. Wow. Yeah. There you have it. Uh, yeah. You can just babysit my kids all the time. They'll be fine. Big thanks to Lindsay for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of our plus or, or one of our supporters, America.ca slash support. We don't have, you know, any ads or anything like that. We don't have a, a paywall on our back catalog. Just all there. 606 or 607, 608 episodes all there for free. Check them all out. Enjoy them all. Share them all for free. If you get some value out of them, head over to America.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. Send a little value back our way. If you like our stuff, you can get more of it by checking out grandamericaoutlaw.ca where we have another podcast. gets a little more risque. Uh, trips and tours over at contactatthecabin.com. All our audiobooks are at adultbrain.ca. And we've got our chats. America.ca slash chats. I think Speaking of... Oh, go ahead. Speaking of audiobooks, I mean, we should probably mention it because it's sort of got to do with this, but um, the latest one that came out is from Margaret Sanger, read by Meredith Waleko, and it's The Pivot of Civilization. It's about birth control. Back like 100 years ago, it was written about birth control. So if people are interested in this fertility episode, that's a great little audiobook there on adultbrain.ca. Bingo, bango. All right, guys, that's about it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
so many cigarettes. 